I, I want to be held accountable for what I'm doing. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. Jesus is smart. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. You gotta go back. In Cinco, Cuatro, I got the loop, Steve. Dos, uno. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Grub Stakers. My name's Yogi Paul, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffers. Uh, Sean P. McCarthy. Today, we are going to be talking about international billionaire fraudster Nirav Modi. Uh, this is an Indian diamondaire, which, by the way, that word, terrible. Diamond plus N-A-I-R-E. That's not, that's, the, that's a horseshit word. Um, Diamond magnate. I think that's better. Um, Nirav Modi is uh, involved in a uh, multi-billion-dollar uh, f- f- bank fraud scam, and uh, we will be getting to exactly how he pulled it all off. I like I like how the only way you could be worse than being a legitimate diamond man would be a legit would be a diamond man plus a fraudster. <laughs> <laughs> like the business model is terrifying enough. Right. Right. Yeah, before recorded, Sean was like, hey, is this guy linked to, like, blood diamonds at all? And I'm like, well, he might be, but that wouldn't be the worst thing this guy does. <laughs> so, uh, to open with the bio of Nirav Modi, uh, he was born in Gujarat, India, and he spent his time in Antwerp, Belgium, mm-hmm. and that's where he split his time growing up. And his dad's a diamond heir, as well as his grandfather. So, really humble roots for how this guy became a billionaire <laughs> with his diamond lineage in his uh, family. Yeah, a lot of the competitors in Belgium were removed in the 1940s. <laughs> so his uh, grandfather was a diamond trader and an early settler in Singapore, and his dad, Deepak, shifted base to Antwerp, Belgium, where Nirov spent his childhood. Um, there's not much information about Nirov's like upbringing when it comes to how he grew up and stuff. He does have uh, three siblings, uh, one brother who we'll mention uh, later because he uh, ruined the family scheme. <laughs> Uh, like uh, Naval Ravikant, uh, Nirav has a brother that ruins everything that he did. Shout out to Fail Brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh, it says uh, it says he's a follower of the Jainist religion. Yeah, he might be Jain. Yeah, yeah, that could be the case. You guys know that about that one? No, I don't. Is that the religion from uh, where you believe in the villain from Goldeneye? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one where you you can't even like all they abhor all violence, including right. like even to flies. Like the more well, the more orthodox Jains will, like, wear masks so that they don't, like, accidentally breathe in a fly and kill it or something. Didn't a lot of them die out just because of the kind of contradiction of no violence and they would kind of starve to death because you have to kill something to eat, even if it's a plant? Yeah, I think they're, like, they are vegans, yeah, the, the Jainism is very anti-damage uh, um, in all aspects, and uh, so I believe they are vegetarians and vegans, and... Um, I mean, you know, you got to think, though, like Andy's mentioning, those type of orthodox religions are so tempted by people next to them, you know, swatting flies, <laughs> in this case. Um, what cast is he from? Uh, on all of the dating gossip websites you can find about him and his family, you can't find what cast they are, but they, it, some of them said he was Hindu, so they, they got that part wrong, because if he's Jain, he's, I mean, he might be Hindustani nationalistically, but he's not that as a religion. I guess we should mention before we go into the bio, he's we believe a former billionaire. 
Like, I guess we should explain to people, this is a an Indian billionaire who's caught up in a major scandal over there. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing I want to mention to our audience before we get into the entirety of this episode is what that... What if he's in the church of Jay-Z Knight? <laughs> um, a cult based out of Yelm, Washington that Selma Hayek is a member of. Oh, really? Yeah. I was going to say the Jonas religion, uh, you have to get a tattoo of uh, a mask smiling and a mask <laughs> frowning. <laughs> Wait, Salma Hayek is a part of a cult from Washington? Mm-hmm. Man, I didn't know that. They're uh, led by this woman, Jay-Z Knight, who claims to have... Um, Isn't that just a, black Jay-Z? <laughs> who claims to have a ten, uh, spiritual connection with a 10,000-year-old warrior named Ramtha. Hmm. And at cult meetings, she'll uh, come out as Ramtha, quote-unquote, channeling him. And speak as Ramtha. Man, how big of an advantage does your cult have if you have Selma Hayek in it? <laughs> like, you have, like, at least 100,000 people willing to just nod along to whatever you say oh, if yeah. they can go to a meeting and look at Selma Hayek. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a sad reality that cults are mostly, I need people to be yes men. And if you got gorgeous women around you at all times, you'll get a lot of yes men. Selma Hayek is just like, yes, the earth is 10,000 years old, and everybody's just nodding and not hearing a word she says. <laughs> well, I knew someone who went to a, um, a kindergarten that was run by this uh, cult, and she said that one thing they had them do was they would write on a piece of paper things that they wanted, and the teachers would spread them out in a field, hmm. and they would then put blindfolds on the kids, and they had to go find the, the paper with the things that they want on it. Really? That was their kindergarten. Tragically, this took place in a uh, decommissioned World War I minefield. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Nirav Modi, the billionaire fraudster. One thing I want to mention before we get into this whole thing is that the defrauding that Nirav did, there's a good chance every rich person in India is of, involved in some sort of corruption like this. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the level of corruption going on in India is... That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it as it is, Andy. <laughs> Nirov has a brother, Nishal, who's married to one of the Imbani's granddaughters, and then their uncle, uh, Mukesh Choksi, is also referenced in Narendra Modi's speeches often as well. Hmm. So the level of just incestuous, hey, we're a part of the money group in this country, is just, just fucking nonsense. But yeah, just for those who don't listen to every episode of this podcast, we did an episode on Mukesh Imbani, is uh, the richest man in India, right. who spent $100 million on his daughter's wedding. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was just something where, like, you go through it, and it's like he built his fortune entirely through corruption and right. government connections. He spent the budget of venom on his, <laughs> on his daughter's wedding. By the way, that's a wedding you want to go to just so that you can steal from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it is kind of fucked up. Like, so he spends $100 million and then all the videos of the wedding are just, like, cell phone camera videos. <laughs> like, how the fuck does ISIS have better production values than your $100 million wedding? <laughs> He forgot to uh, grease the wheels of the local union, <laughs> local Teamsters union. So Nirav Modi, uh, he grows up in Belgium and splits time in India, and then he eventually goes to college in Wharton, and this is where he will meet uh, Ami Modi, who becomes his wife eventually. But at Wharton, he wants to be a music conductor, uh, but that doesn't work out, and he studies finance for a year until he drops out to the dismay of his parents, according to this um, and then at age 19... I'm, I'm half Belgian, half Indian, so that means I get my <laughs> chopped off African child limbs from 7-Eleven. <laughs> if you don't know Dan Nine and Millennial Comedian, you gotta check him out. He's one of the best. 
Um, at age 19, he was sent to Bombay, now known as Mumbai, to c- cut his teeth under his uncle M- Mahul Choksi. Oh, not Mukesh. Mahul Choksi of Gitanjali Diamonds, where he reportedly worked 12 hours a day, six and a half days a week for 3,500 rupees, which is, I don't know, about like $70, roughly. Um, I'm half Belgian, half Indian. That means that I'm not allowed to have chocolate because my caste is too low. <laughs> You guys know Dan Nainan at all? Yeah, of course. Andy yeah. He's like yeah. a running joke on Come Town Chapo. All right, I've I've messaged corporate comedian. I've I opened for him once. And, really? Uh, yeah, and oh, I really? had a great set, and, and uh, he was like, "You killed," you know. So, so I've emailed him to be on our show a couple of times, and he is open to it. Really? <laughs> uh, we might get Dan Nainan on the show. Yeah. I remember he had a Facebook fight with one of our friends, and I just kept on complimenting him and then asking him if he needed a feature. <laughs> I wish that Yogi story went like, yeah, so I emailed him once, and now at 3 a.m., he sends me seven-page letters about how he's flying on a private jet and getting into a Tesla while I'm a loser. Yeah, that's that's what he does when someone pisses him off. Is he'll, like, um, a friend of ours, he just got pissed off, and so he was sending selfies of himself in a private jet and in front of a Tesla as a way of owning him. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll call you up at three AM. He's like, I only accept petro dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the first thing that really got him on the national uh, comedy controversy scene was that he was going to offer Mark Marin ten thousand dollars to be on the WTF podcast, and Marin was like, uh, uh, No, I don't want to do this. And but he wouldn't reveal that Dan Nyan was the name. And then uh, Mark Marin came to a headline a club that uh, we all lived at near in in Seattle, Washington. And I remember being up and like, Hey, so that the guy that offered you ten thousand, he was like. Dan Nyan's his name. Like, he just knew instantly <laughs> that that's the question I was going for. <laughs> so, Nirav Modi is in Mumbai, and he's working, uh, you know, six, day, six and a half days a week as a, as a diamond cutter. And ten years after this, he, uh, you know, puts together some money. I mean, essentially, this guy's working every day, but he's got family money to, to support him in all of his future endeavors. And so, ten years later, he's in 1999. He's I do just want to stop you for a minute. We should note, like, I only know a little bit about this, but, like, diamond cutting, if he's actually doing it, it is a very precise skill. Because you take these raw stones and you have to cut them. I guess now with machinery it's easier, but back when people, like, did it by right, hand... Right. You know, you have to you take these raw stones and you have to make very precise cuts to make you know. Pure Actually, diamonds. it's like it's like one of those really manual disciplines where the humans are still better than machines mm-hmm. a lot of times. You kind of have to line it up with the actual lattice structure of the diamond in order for the light to pass through. Um, oh really? Ideally, yeah. Hmm. Like the lattice structure of the carbon atoms uh, within the diamond. See, the real experts can maintain a s- total silence in their heads that shuts out all of the cries of the children in the Congo <laughs> <laughs> who actually brought the yeah. stone to them. All of the spirits of the children <laughs> from the mines are just like you have to ignore all that, and like you know the operators of machine aren't going to be able to do that, so they're going to fuck it up. You know, as much as that is true, uh, in in this article that I'm quoting from, it does mention that Nirov can't draw, and he explains. So, so years later, after he set up his uh, first company, Firestart, in 1999, which is Firestar Diamond, uh, which at the time was valued at 2.3 billion, ranked number 57 in Forbes list of Indian billionaires in 2017. Uh, 
he does say that Nero can't draw and mm. explains his designs to craft persons, quoting, I travel a lot. I get inspired and I give a narrative and emotion to my designers who sketch. Then the engineers figure out how to make it. <laughs> so basically he has other people doing right, all of right, this shit. Exactly. So as much That's, as... You know what, though? I do got to respect the balls on that. <laughs> <laughs> just like the most dressed up way of saying, I do none of the work here. Right. I just describe what I want this to look like. This is the idea, man. Make it shiny. <laughs> the fucking Steve Jobs of diamond cutter. Right, right, right. So as much as I think that he might have gotten better at becoming a diamond cutter, I think that that entire time was just spent learning the ropes of how to, you know, make your own diamond empire from his uncle. Because, you know, at that point, at this time, he's a college dropout. He's 19 years old. He and went to the Wharton School of Business. Mm-hmm. And his family's just like, all right, you're going to work with your uncle. Fuck you. I mean, it's the ultimate nepotistic... Oh, your uncle owns something, so he's going to fucking give you a job, you piece of shit. It's sort of of funny. Like, I mean, I guess another thing I've learned from this podcast is like, if you go to the Wharton School of Business, you automatically have the network set up you need to do some sort of business (laughs) fraud. (laughs) Because, like, you want to do insider trading? All right, they're all at the Wharton School. You want to do a pump and dump? Like, you can find people in the Wharton School to go in with you. (laughs) Right, right. So, um,. Oh, and one other thing, I, I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but I saw on Wikipedia, he's like, his family is like multi-multi-generation uh, diamond cutters in India. Yeah. Do you know about how far back that goes? Well, so it's reported that it was just his grandfather, his grandfather. Is, is the beginning of the diamond empire, and I don't think it goes much more f- further past that, because he mentions in uh, an interview that his grandfather started it, and his dad, who is now in his 70s, is still doing it. So there's a chance that it might be going past that you know, 110 year, uh, I mean, it might be 130 year legacy of diamond cutting, potentially, if not longer. So like turn of the century, 19th, uh, 20th century, around when they started? Yeah, I think that uh, the main thing I want... Colonial era. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I think that um, because he was in Singapore and not India, I think that uh, his grandfather must have started that diamond company with uh, some malicious intent, if you know what I mean, because... Singapore was a British colony too, right? Or am I mistaken? No, no, you're right about that. But I actually, I don't know if it is. That's a that's a decent question. I wish I knew the answer to. The the thing to like about how people got power back then is um, <clears throat> when the British were first colonizing the area. Um, the way to really gain a lot of power was to just give the best sloppiest blowjob to a colonial general, <laughs> and. You know, you had to hope that you really knew how to suck that down. Mm-hmm. Um, really, like, you know, suppress the gag reflex back of the throat. And uh, if you could make him come twice, you know, you were set. Well, that's what the Modis do. They make sure to make <laughs> you come twice. That's how you found your house, pretty much. <laughs> I was going to... I was going to say that his grandfather made his fortune when uh, he discovered that he could make the Raj the perfect cup of Earl Grey tea. <laughs> All right, so he starts his first company in 1999, and he's a designated partner in four enterprises. Nishal Enterprises, LLP, Paragon, which is the name of his brother, uh, Jewelry, LLP, Paragon Merchandising, and Panchajanya Diamonds, LLP. So it's all family businesses. These are LLCs that are dummy corporations that we now know because of this fraud set up in the names of their siblings and uh, uh, f- family members. Oh, and just uh, Singapore was a British colony. Nice. Uh, they set one up 1819, and then it was occupied by the Japanese during World War II and then returned to the British and then uh, got its independence in the 1960s. Mm, gotcha. So... 
the the beginning of Nirov's uh, legacy is that he begins selling parcels of polished diamonds and then sorting them. But his best thing was how he was sourcing the diamonds. He started off by buying diamond roughs from De Beers, but then quickly switched to Alarosa of Russia and then Australian miner Argyle. So those three individuals, uh, I bet you could find some blood diamond ties to them. Um, De Beers, beca- no. <laughs> I'm just imagining his like eureka moment in the bathtub where he's like, what if we made it even crueler? <laughs> what if we cut off both hands? <laughs> That's that's the genius moment. That's the, you know, we've been cutting off one hand, but what if we just cut off both arms? It's like a montage and music is playing and equations are going above his head. (laughs) He's like, no, not cut off one hand, cut off two hands, and then they will work twice as fast. He's like, he's he's having a meeting with a geologist where he's like, I'm telling you, man, this... This mine will just churn out diamond after diamond. And he's like, okay, but are there any child soldier militias in the area? Nope. Pass. <laughs> Pass. We need employees. Now, wait a minute. We've been using 12-year-olds. What if we use 9-year-olds? <laughs> we can, in fact, the 12-year-olds are attempting to unionize, and we can use 9-year-olds as scabs to break the strike. So... He's buying these diamonds from people, doing a p- pretty okay job. He's the first Indian jewelry designer to f- uh, be on the cover of Christie's catalog, mm. which is uh, famous for his Embrace Bangle. Um, he made a uh, stretch. I think a lot of British soldiers did that, too. <laughs> <laughs> the bangle called the Embrace Bangle is made of 800 different parts, and it's a stretchable bracelet. So, you, you know, you could... Eh, it's like a Chinese finger trap, but a bracelet. That's exactly what it looks like. I'm imagining like a Mobius strip of child exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> and then he also did the Endless Band, an unbroken line of diamonds set in an almost invisible 18K white gold band. Hmm. So his pieces cost from five locked rupees to 50 crore. And we're going to get into that breakdown for, for a second because the Indian money isn't on uh, the same uh, denomination as the U.S. currency. How many uh, Adam Crow is that? <laughs> a lock is 100,000 and a crore is 10 million. Yeah. Uh, crore comes from the Sanskrit koti and prakid krodi. It is also pronounced karor, karod, kodi, kodi, etc. in various languages. The word and is also spread to Arabic, Persian, and Pashto. It's really offensive how when you buy one of those for Corollas, it lectures <laughs> you on how women aren't funny. <laughs> Hey, man, I need mangria because I can't drink a drink called sangria without the word man in it. I wish I could drive my Corolla by that homeless encampment in L.A. without it talking about how he hopes they all die soon. <laughs> so um, we're going to mention uh, Corolla a lot later when we talk about his frauds. But to let you let everyone in the audience listening, it's 10 million rupees is, is what a Corolla is. Mm-hmm. Um, he's reported to have strategically... People are taking out their calculators at their desks as we, <laughs> as we speak. Yeah. They're like, whoa, can you slow down? We want to follow all these rupees, crores. <laughs> this is why we listen to this shit. Yeah. We're going to start reporting all of our financial statement in, in lock and crore. Yeah, please. If we are at a point where we were making lock or crore money, I think we should. <laughs> this would be like point zero 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 one crore of uh, RS crore. I'm just imagining Andy starts handling money for the podcast and then dooms himself to be a lower cast forever. <laughs> 
So it's about 2009, and Nirov is apparently, he's reported to have strategically picked up rare diamonds at bargain prices during the slowdown in 2009. Hmm. So due to the recession, he, he banks a whole bunch of diamonds. And we're almost to the part where the fraud that, that uh, is revealed the recently. The slowdown coinciding with a UN investigation <laughs> into conditions in diamond mines. And the rare rubies he finds, one of the first ones to uh, be profiled is a 12.29 carat diamond from the famous Golconda mines, which was fashioned into a necklace called the Golconda Lotus, went under the hammer at Christie's auction in Hong Kong in 2010 for 3.6 million, uh, which is 16 crore for uh, everyone, anyone paying attention. I'm sorry, um, I know you probably said it, but just uh, for me, I'm slow. Uh, So he he drops out of Wharton School of Business, then he goes back to India. He's in Gujarat or where is he? He's in Bombay. Now known he's in as Bombay. Mumbai. Yes. So he's in Mumbai now. Yeah. And he's doing this business. He sets up his own diamond shop. Out of so he, he's in Mumbai when he's spending the first 10 years cutting the diamonds. But at this point, he's all over the world. Right. He's because a jet setter. As a diamond heir. <laughs> <laughs> it's such, such a shitty word. It's worse than equestrian. Because equestrian... Yeah. <laughs> equestrian, you're like, I don't know, it sounds like it could be agriculture, but diamond air is just like, ugh. It's just gross. <laughs> I do like that diamond air rhymes with nightmare, which is <laughs> what he is for anyone under the age of 15 on the African continent. So after he does this uh, uh, necklace... And so, yeah, sorry, just one other thing. So like by 2009, he's clearly like, multi-millionaire if oh, not yeah. billionaire and then like so probably by the early 2000s he's made a fortune or when would you put that um so the hong kong necklace sells in 2010 for 3.6 million <sighs> so i would bet that he has a couple hundred million at this point at okay. to his disposal for the diamond uh business but even that number is going to come into question in a moment when we start talking about the fraud itself because the fraud that he does is reported to have happened between 2011 and 2015 and we'll get more on that in a moment but before we get there i want to talk about why he was so regarded as such a high profile person um because of the hong kong necklace that he sold he starts uh outfitting hollywood with uh, diamond and jewelry he gets uh, kate winslet uh taraji p henson uh lisa hayden and the Indian goddess, who I hate personally, Priyanka Chopra, is oh. uh, featured. Uh, if you go to his website, she's wearing the M- Mogok Ruby Suite, 27 ravishing rubies from the Mogok mines in Myanmar that required two years of sourcing to finally craft into an ex- exquisite necklace. The, so, uh, it is pretty sad how Kate Winslet keeps needing a fresh resupply of diamonds because <laughs> she keeps throwing them in the ocean. <laughs> I was going to say that that necklace is the perfect accessory for a Hollywood celebrity lecturing you about climate change. (laughs) Just stare at the blood diamonds on their neck while they tell you to stop flying commercial. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to I want to say this up front. Even if this guy isn't committing massive billion dollar frauds, Mm. the entire, you know, basis of his business is spending countless lives and in time sourcing raw earth materials to make jewelry for uh, millionaire celebrities so that they can look pretty... Probably polluting a lot in the process. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. All pollution. I mean, it's, you know, his entire life is pollution. 
and, yeah, and it is one of those things where it's like if you don't have a family that goes back to you know the turn of the nineteenth twentieth century, mm-hmm. that's how he can like say like we are the elite diamond cutters, and this creates the demand from Hollywood millionaires and other you know assorted millionaires and billionaires, or you know it's just like we can say we we have this exclusive diamond that right. was like cut by like this family that has this legacy that because they're such professionals, you know. Well, and I mean it's not even about it being that it's not even about their legacy. It's just the fact that he. He's got the brand name after he gets his first nut. I mean, like, you know, once you say I got a fucking my name in a popular magazine as an Indian diamond heir, Mm -hmm. you know, gangbusters, everyone, everyone wants a piece of you because everyone knows that this stuff isn't uh, good for the world. But yet we tolerate it for no real reason. I mean, it's 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 horrendous. I mean, also, as a dime cutter, you know, he or diamond cutter. He uh, controls the British crown, keeps the metric system down, <laughs> leaves Atlantis off the maps, keeps the Martians under wraps. He holds back the electric car, and he makes Steven Gutenberg a star. <laughs> what? You know, he robs cavefish of their sight. He rigs every Oscar night. I don't know what you're referencing. It's a Simpsons bit. Oh. Really? Mm-hmm. I know the Simpsons stone well. Stonecutters. It's the Stonecutters, Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Now I feel like an idiot. Yeah, I'm pro-Chinese fake diamonds i love I when feel like, like that's that's a really woke thing actually yeah i think that uh driving down the price right thereby the need to the impetus to to torture children in mines well, that's the thing with like cubic zirconiums where people are like it's supposed to be a scandal if someone gets one instead of a diamond but it's right. like well if you can't tell the difference like what you just want something on your finger that <laughs> that yeah. costs five dead children with, with these with these latest fakes that they're making or at least sourcing it through china uh-huh um they're so good that the the de beers like experts can't tell the difference oh right man. yeah Th- those aren't cubit zirconiums those are uh i forget the exact wow. thing but they're, they're either like ex- extremely good cubit zirconians or some other method you know, we, we, I was going to mention this later, but I do want to say that uh, when this scandal was start, starting to break out because of the fact that uh, the Indian news media doesn't travel uh, throughout the world nearly as well as our media does, uh, this guy in Canada, Paul Alfonso, who had connections to Nirov Modi, went to propose to his fiance. so he went to Nirov to get a ring from him, mm. and Nirov was like, all right, I got this ring for you. It's a bang. It's going to be 120000 but it's fantastic. You're going to love it. And then this guy, Paul Alfonso's girlfriend, decided, you know what? I kind of want this ring from this magazine. And he was like, Nirov, can you hook me up, Doug? He's like, yeah, it's going to be 80000 But you know what? Uh, you should get both because you can give this one to her later. And so he gives mm-hmm. them 200000 And then she gets it appraised. And it turns out, fake diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are lab-grown diamonds. Oh, okay. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. So I like didn't the, know they could do the, that The yet. beer experts, are, they can't even tell the difference with these things. Yeah, because so like, they're, they're real they're equally, diamonds. They're equally pretty. So. Yeah. It doesn't... Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. How could... They're both real, right? It, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's shiny objects. Yeah, they're we, like, well, well, okay. These ones, if no children were killed to make these diamonds, uh, aren't they better? That makes them better to me, anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, that was what I was saying before we started recording. Is it really seems like if you're like a fake diamond fraudster, your real crime is improving labor conditions in diamond yeah. sources. <laughs> <laughs> you're reduce. You're you're infringing on De Beers' ability to exploit people along their supply chain. Right, right. That's the real crime. Right, like, and just for people who don't know, I mean, I only know the vague parts of this story, but like Arthur Rhodes, I think it was Arthur Rhodes, the Rhodes Scholar guy, was like a diamond magnate, a British diamond magnate, who created a false false scarcity of diamonds Mm -hmm. to drive up the price, and then there were 
all these campaigns in the United States in the, the early 20th century about how get your wife a diamond ring to propose, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just entirely there was a diamond cartel set up. Where there's like what was it the like one fifth of your annual salary right, or whatever right. was they came up with that bullshit yeah it was just a marketing gimmick but the entire point is like there's no scarcity of diamonds they're just controlled by a cartel who like keeps the prices up Sc- scarcity we don't need them right like it's not there's that part too right then they're know, not scarce yeah, they're because not. you can grow them right exactly so. it's it's, it's it, the entire demand for jewelry of this caliber it, it, jewelry period but jewelry in this case is fucking r- ridiculous I mean it'd be like you know, and, and people sacrifice their entire lives for this horseshit. This this specific billionaire, who is now not a billionaire, made a billion fucking dollars off of being someone so reputable in the diamond industry that idiots like Paul Alfonso was like, "Hey, I'll wire you two hundred thousand without checking the certificates of these diamonds." And then his fiance broke up with him because her family thought he was giving her fake diamonds. <laughs> and how could you let someone fraud him? And so he became depressed, and then he's filing a lawsuit. Uh, of his two companies that file for bankruptcy for uh, $4.2 million. I want to correct myself. It's uh, Cecil Rhodes was mm. the Rhodes Scholar guys. Arthur Rhodes was actually a Seattle Mariners player. Oh. And you know, you can remember it's Cecil Rhodes because if a Mariners player had tried to do it, he would have failed. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like, I, I, I pulled up this article from the South China Morning Post about these fake diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such clear like... You know, there the information lo- appears to be correct, but it's got this extra like element of propaganda where it's like, first of all, lab-grown diamonds are not fake; they're the real deal. In terms of physical and chemical composition, they're the same as mine diamonds. These are not uh, Swarovski crystals. In fact, they're superior to quote the real thing with fewer impurities and defects. Experts will tell you that being 99.9% pure carbon, lab-grown diamonds are actually shinier and stronger. Like, it's just an ad for lab-grown diamonds. I like when you say lab-grown diamonds, I just imagine, like, you uh, like a shroom kit where you, like, order the spores off the internet and then hope hope your mom doesn't know it's growing in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, do you know how they lab-grow diamonds? Is that all accurate, though? I mean... Um, well, I was, I was looking into the Wikipedia page for manufacturing diamonds, and it looks like at first they would um, heat... Well, how many black kids' up. arms are cut off for this process? That's mm-hmm. what I need to know. Um, 50% fewer. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the, the real innovation. It's like, okay, we, we only have to, um, you know, kill half the number of children to, to <laughs> you it, just got to go out and get like five wedding rings and like put them in soil under a hydroponic lamp. <laughs> what if they just can't accept that you don't need to kill anyone? So they have the whole lab grown process right, and then right. right afterwards they just kill someone for no reason. <laughs> they just literally can't do it. Well, they it's like. We've, deci- we've discovered how to synthesize diamonds, but we're also hardcore pagans who don't want to uh, anger the, the god of diamond yeah. mining. They still have to sacrifice someone. I mean, you have to to make money. But you- so, I guess just to get back to Yogi's story, it is interesting to me where, to the best of our knowledge, he probably wasn't doing fraud before like, oh, te- 2010 or so. I mean, like allegedly. Was, yeah, yeah. I- maybe I he was doing it the whole time. But y- Yeah, I mean... You know, we can't prove that it was being going on the whole time, but the, you know, we'll get to the fraud in a moment, the, the main bulk of the story here, but uh, the reality is, and I'll take heed for this, I don't give a fuck, any person with this much capital in India has stolen it. 
anyone. There, there is, you know, obviously we've covered how billionaires are, uh, you know, uh, con men in suits. But I don't believe anyone in India that could amass this amount of wealth didn't break multiple arms to accumulate it. And in the case of Nirav Modi being a diamond heir who has besmirched his family's name, I wouldn't be shocked if this shit was going on way before that. Are you calling Indian billionaires devious? <laughs> Leave your comments on the SoundCloud. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it is interesting where, like, so India had a nominally socialist government, mm-hmm. which, interestingly, like, of course, people will use that to discredit the entire idea of socialism, but it was it's the usual state capitalism, where the government ran basically the entire economy, so if you had government connections, you could make money through government connections. Right. and. And, like, we certainly see a lot of this with U.S. billionaires, but it is just an interesting kind of, I guess, dynamic where, you know, Russian billionaires are called oligarchs, and, you know, even in the Western press, Indian billionaires might be called out more corrupt, but uh, as, mo- as more corrupt than American but billionaires. But that's what's interesting. But, you wouldn't actually see that. Right. The Indian media is so poor that this Paul Alfonso fuck personally knows Nirav Modi, yeah. and the case is going on while he's wiring him $200,000, and he doesn't realize that he's being uh, investigated for the fraud that we're about to bring up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on one hand, yes, the racial aspect of uh, brown billionaires being more uh, being perceived as more devious than other billionaires may be the case, but the reality you is... You heard it here first. Russians are brown. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that the news media of India is not going to um, touch the U.S. soil in the ways that a U.S. billionaire will. I mean, there's certainly more propaganda that American billionaires are, you know, altruistically good. Um, mm. But if they didn't need to do that, if American billionaires uh, who are white or not white didn't need to, you know, I don't know, funnel tax money through fucking philanthropic ventures or shit like that, they wouldn't be nice either. So I don't know, the, the entire notion of these Indian billionaires being more devious is certainly... A racial component, I will concede. However, uh, there's just so much corruption in that fucking country, and this is the shit we're about to get through. So, um, Nirav Modi does a scheme with the Punjab National Bank that makes it so that he gets these uh, documents called LOUs, and... LOUs. Just to stop you for a sec, is the is the Punjab National Bank is that a state bank of the province or is it a privately yep. held bank? Or? So that's a state-run enterprise. I see. That's the second largest one in India. Hell um, yeah. The bank's worth about a little under a billion dollars in net worth. Oh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> um. So an LOU. Th- this is how he commits this scheme. An LOU is a letter of undertaking mm-hmm. which uh, essentially tells one bank which where one bank tells another bank that it will meet a customer's liability mm-hmm. now what Nirav Modi does is he creates fraudulent LOUs within the Punjab National Bank with two employees and what that allows him to do is one of Nirav Modi's companies will ask Punjab National Bank for an LOU to import jewels from Hong Kong Punjab National Bank gives the LOU in favor of, you know, like, let's say, Alibad Bank's Hong Kong branch. Because of the LOU, Alibad Bank will trust that the money it extends to Nirav Modi's company will be paid back by the Punjab National Bank. Now, that's a fraudulent document, so that was never going to happen. So it puts the money into a Nostro account, a kind of account held by one bank and foreign currency in another bank. And then Nirav Modi's company now has access to this money to pay for the imports. 
So within a stipulated period, once the imports have actually been shipped into India, Nirav Modi would have to pay back Punjab National Bank, which would then pay back the bank that it got the LOU from. And we should just point out the LOU is one of the most commonly used forms of trade credit. Mm-hmm. And so like a bank the size of Punjab National Bank, which does a lot of international trade work, it would be relatively easy to mask these transaction right. transactions. So I guess, am I understanding this as he's getting fraudulent loans yeah, uh, backed by nothing? Or? Yes, the, yeah, the Punjab National Bank is essentially guaranteeing these transactions for on behalf of... of um, Nirov's companies. Nirov's companies. And like we've mentioned, he started a, a whole bunch of companies with, you know, dummy CEOs, as in his brother and his, his wife and his other family members. And so some of the names of these companies are uh, Solar Exports, Seller Diamonds, and my, my personal favorite, Diamonds Are Us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Wait, like, wait, here, here this is a, a tangent. Um, you guys asked how diamonds are synthesized, and one of the ways... Oh, did we? You is- listeners... <laughs> Listeners might have been wondering why Andy was silent for the last five minutes. One of the ways is just um, blowing up carbon in a metal chamber. (laughs) Really? And that just creates enough pressure to turn the carbon that was used to explode into a diamond. Sounds pretty carbon intensive. Yeah. Well, they're they're apparently nano diamonds. They're tiny uh, diamond particles. Doesn't Elizabeth Holmes sell those? (laughs) (laughs) Nano diamond. Nano diamond. <laughs> there we go. Um, the information I'm getting at this point is from this uh, scroll.in article that covers the entire uh, Nirav Modi scam here. I did just want to mention, like, so it's not exactly identical, but it's kind of similar to the Joe Lowe scam, like where essentially they would uh, take out these giant lines of credit and say the sovereign, the Malaysian sovereign wealth fund and the M- Malaysian state guarantees all this, and then mm-hmm. he would just funnel billions into his own bank account. And um, I guess it is kind of interesting, Steve was saying before we started recording, how uh, we've been uh, incidentally uh, demolishing socialist arguments for sovereign wealth funds <laughs> well, for the last week or two. You know, like we've had probably four episodes that touch on sovereign wealth funds involved in corrupt scandals. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, well, this is a commercial bank, so it's a bit different. Well, I, But it's a state-run commercial bank. I think it just like uh, the right-wing opponents of of like... <laughs> Um, publicly owned corporations like this will say, see, this is why it should be privately controlled. Right, so it would right. be either more efficient or more, um, uh, what's the word, um, transparent. Mm-hmm. But like at least in, I mean, at least in theory, a public corporation, at least on paper, could be more transparent and subjected to rule by the people. Yeah, if this was privately owned, we wouldn't even know these scandals were going on. <laughs> but it's just like, once those calls come out, it'll be like, this is on transparent. You know what we should do? We should implement a system that's known to be even less transparent. <laughs> well, just minor digression. Like, it is interesting where one of the better, or let's say most convincing arguments I've heard for how we actually implement socialism, workers control the means of production, is Matt Brunig has written about nickel and dime socialism, which is essentially the idea that all privately held capital, or almost all of it, gets put into sovereign wealth funds that are, you know, public and accountable to the people. And, you know, of course, like, I I think it's preferable to the system we have now, but we should acknowledge there are problems with that, such as what we've talked about with some of these sovereign wealth fund corruption scandals. Well, I think, like, but, you know, part of the corruption angle with any 
any privately or publicly controlled commercial bank or sovereign wealth fund is the fact that you need to guarantee a return in order to some constituents that can include, well, hopefully, ideally like the Indian public or the Malaysian public or whoever, but also to shareholders, like private shareholders. And there's like a lot of, like these are so, these are monetarily sovereign states that we're dealing with. This is a bit of digression. I hope no, that's okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, where like, okay, if you have a Congress or a parliament and you have a floating fiat uh, exchange rate regime, right? Rather than go through the go- like this almost Rube Goldberg device of like, well, first we make this monet- this sovereign wealth fund that guarantees a certain return for its citizenships, for for its citizens, right? And then from those accumulated capital gains, they will then be guaranteed uh, a source of income. Like, or you could just cut through all of that and say the Congress will appropriate um, a UBI or guarantee federally guarantee a job. So you can have the income transfer through a very simple process, or you can go through a very circuitous route that basically says the state is going to be a hedge fund manager. Hmm. Right. So right. we're going to, and you know, and that also opens the door to uh, needing to find private equity and hedge fund people to run these things. Yeah, that makes so sense. So like needing to, like with the Malaysian Wealth Fund, mm-hmm. they relied on Goldman Sachs to underwrite their debt issuances and that opened the door to that conspiracy with jolo right yeah we didn't mention but update on the jolo episode or the jolo episode is that malaysia has charged uh, several goldman sachs executives with like fraud and you know they'll probably never get prosecuted because they have to go to malaysia sure but, sure but it is something where like goldman sachs absolutely helped jolo defraud the malaysian people because they get you know tidy little fees for doing so yeah but anyway, sorry, to, sorry. To no, you're fine. I, I, it is interesting because it, you know, I sometimes look at some of these things with like how it implicates the future processes of this stuff. And I do think Stephen, you are right that it would change more state-run things to private in India because of incidents like this, where they would be like, "Oh, fuck this state-run." Nonsense. I mean, that's definitely going to be a political argument that mm-hmm. you right. hear in India. I'm sure right. they say like, "This is, you know, this would never happen if it was a privately owned corporation that's dominated by the need for profits." And so you can find ways to constrain that. Which isn't really even the case because, you know, all Nirav Modi did was, you know, bend the arms of two individuals. Two people <laughs> were why he was able to funnel these this, this multi-billion dollar scheme. Yeah, like the whole thing kind of set off in Mumbai when uh, a guy named Gokul Nath Shetty, mm-hmm. uh, deputy branch manager and one of his subordinates, uh, this is off a Financial Times article, when they allegedly provided unapproved, fraudulently issued bank guarantees right. to Mr. Modi's firms. And Choksi, uh, and Mr. Choksi's uh, Gitanjali Gems, that company, yeah. uh, one of India's largest mass market jewelry retailers. So this is his un- near of Modi's unky- uncle's businesses. Yeah, yeah. So this uncle's is all according. Uncle's uncle. <laughs> We all get a chance to mispronounce things on this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this is according to a complaint by um, the PNB to the Central Bureau of Investigation, the CIB, right? Which is like the what is it like the, uh, the like FBI? The, yeah, FBI, CIA, you know, similar organization. Yeah. yeah. 
So the way that he pulled off the scheme is these two junior level branch officials would send the instructions to the foreign banks, or the foreign branches of other banks that Punjab National Bank had issued those LOUs on behalf of these companies. Now the way they did this is that the software for these banks is this system called SWIFT, which is Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. And it's a system that's trusted everywhere. These two employees would log these LOUs with not through Swift. So that was how they got away with doing this. They, they mm. kept it off the books, basically. So now here's the other thing. The way the bank figured this out is, uh, and this is where his brother comes in, uh, Nirav Modi's brother, uh, Nihal, shows up to the bank going, boop, 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 got to pull out for scam. <laughs> and the two employees that were pulling out for scam, one of them had retired. So it was a new staff that was there. Mm. So he goes, shows up and goes, all right, let me get that LOU. And they're like, okay, show us the 110% cash margin since that's... Yeah, in order to have this trading account right. for trade credit, you right. have to maintain a cash margin of like at least 100% of whatever you're trying to transact. Mm-hmm. And so the you know they had a bank with no built-in credit allowances. So the companies told the branch they had been... Availing LOUs without providing cash margins for several years now, which is when they're like, oh, what? what, what? <laughs> so this was in 2017 where the bank figured out, oh, this is actually what's going on. But the reality is, is that this guy, Hari Prasad, was a whistleblower. And this man in 2012. He was a whistleblower who said The Simpsons was racist. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not see that this is bad? Oh, you're going to kill a poo off the show? That wasn't my intent. <laughs> Snake. Like yeah, like what tripped them up was they accidentally came across like an honest banker. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, like you know, had Nirav Modi gotten to this person, and actually the only reason this guy decided to call him out was because his uh, this guy Hari's bank uh, loaned uh, Nirav Modi's company ten uh, ten crore with a payback of twenty five crore, and when that didn't happen. <laughs> I'm just imagining how fucking Maddie would have been like, what are the odds that we find an honest banker? <laughs> like, statistically, it's more likely you'll win the lottery or be attacked by a great white shark <laughs> than walk into a bank and find a guy on the up and up. So Hari Prasad whistleblows, and the first thing he, because his bank has loaned uh, Nirav Modi's company's 10 crore, and he's supposed to get back 25 crore from this transaction. And a year later goes by, and Nirav Modi doesn't, contact him. He keeps sending him emails and Nirav Modi doesn't contact him back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so the first thing this guy, Hari Prasad, does is he contacts the police department. He goes, hey, police, this is going on. They do nothing. Mm-hmm. He contacts the CIB. They do nothing. Then he contacts the prime minister's office. They do jack shit. Then he contacts this group called the ROC, which is, I think, the Registrar of Corporations or something like that, which is like a group of people that uh, are overseeing companies in India. They say the case is closed. <laughs> no one gives a shit. <laughs> And uh, so this is Prime Minister Modi, which so this, there is no relation. There is no relation to Prime Minister Modi, but because this scheme has been going on since 2011, both the BJP and Modi's administration are blaming each other. So Narendra Modi is like, see, these guys have to escape the country because if they didn't, they know they'd go to jail under my administration. Uh, I see. So, um, so at this time, his brother... <laughs> goes uh i fucked up and so he and this is where i think the the crime starts to uh get starts getting a bit more noticed the chart sheet reveals his brother nehal modi destroyed evidence like cell phones of their company's dummy directors in dubai and hong kong Mm. and tried to hide 50 kilograms of gold which is about 2.5 million dollars worth of gold that is one uncomfortable airplane ride (laughs) 
So at this time, India's agencies finally figure out uh, something's fucked up. And incidentally, um, Nirav Modi su- surprisingly gets away, just gets to leave the country. <laughs> uh, apparently, they don't realize a international fraudster is going to y- the UK in this in this reality. So he goes to England and is, is hanging out, <laughs> out there. He's the guy who used Jeffrey Epstein's passport. <laughs> <laughs> so... At this time, India wants extradition of Nirav Modi, and people in the UK are starting to learn about this case. And while this is going on, actually, he's starting other companies in other countries. Hell yeah. Because the news media is not being picked up everywhere, it's not as prevalent, he's opening up stores in Hong Kong, he's <laughs> fucking in London hanging out, he's having a fucking ball. And there are people capturing him in London just like walking his dog, <laughs> hanging out. And I mean, like, you know, you want to talk about the balls on a billionaire. An entire country wants you for a multi-billion dollar scheme. And this guy <laughs> is being uh, accosted by uh, <laughs> uh, journalists and activists, and he's w- rocking a handlebar mustache and a 10,000 pound ostrich leather jacket. <laughs> and he doesn't give a fuck. And uh, we have a drop of Nirav Modi that we want to play here because the journalists are asking him questions and uh, he gives very thorough answers to these questions. Sorry, no comment. <laughs> he just says no comment to her like four or five times and that's, exa- that's all he says. Just confirm whether you've applied for political asylum. That's all I want to know. Can you confirm that? Sorry, no comment. <laughs> you confirmed if you're asked. a lot of people, a lot of money, Mr. Murray. Sorry, no comment. No comment. <laughs> Who would very much like to know where you are. Sorry, no comment. <laughs> How long do you intend to stay in England for? I just want to say, with that mustache, if he put on some leather chaps, he could clean up at Stonewall. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like obese Freddie Mercury. He does yeah, have. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I do like, if we were putting together a book of billionaire quotes, the two most popular ones would be, no comment and I do not recall. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd, I'd put an honorable mention of, uh, I don't even like massages. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's shooting its way into the number three spot <laughs> yeah. with the news of this year. So uh, at this time, the... Or I didn't know about Jeff's other activities. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, 24 accused named in prosecution of this complaint are Nirav Modi, Nishal Modi, his brother, Nihal Modi, his other brother, Deepak Modi, his dad, Sham Sundar Wadwa, Golanth Kutcheri, Purvi Mehta, Majank Mehta, Saju Prokhan, Aditya Navanti, Hemant Bhatt. I'm only halfway through the stupid list. <laughs> Sabash Parab, Mihar Bansali, Dharmesh Bortra, Radishir Jewelry Company, Private just, Limited, just Solar Exports, Stellar Diamonds, Diamonds R Us, Firestar International, Private Firestar <laughs> Diamond International, Private Limited, Nirav Modi Trust Trustee, Firestone Trading Private Limited, Mock Business Expenses, I LTD, tower, and company. Bentley Properties P- Private LTD. Just, just imagine how long this episode would have taken if I was the one pronouncing those <laughs> oh, and I didn't even do that good of a job wait for a special release for <laughs> just fucking 20 minutes bonus on the patron where 50 Indian names Bara Pooji Nakalzam Mace Poo I like I ca- in the previous episode you're doing great Sean keep going I cautiously sounded out the word obfuscation obfica- <laughs> it's an English word I've read that word a million times but I just like uh, in the clutch I can't make the fucking three shot of pronouncing obfuscation so at this time 
he has been arrested in the UK. Yes. And the extradition process is pending. His properties, his vehicles, his various... Uh, There's still like artifacts in the museum where the extradition is, pro- <laughs> is processing back to the India. The um, His vehicles, his property in New York, in, in, in London, and I believe some in Hong Kong are being seized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we will see what happened with this. And also, oh, one last thing I want to mention is that uh, there's a book coming out. Uh, actually, it's already out, but you can't buy it in the U.S., which is another... Uh, part of the fucking scrubbing of the internet that is our billionaire class mm-hmm. but the book is called uh flawed the rise and fall of india's diamond mogul nirav modi now that's that's uh, you know, a book that's uh, came out august 30th and uh, you can't actually get in the u.s for some reason hmm. however there's another book that came out what's his uncle up to his uncle's in the caribbean <laughs> And he says that he can't go to the countries that he might be tried in because he's afraid of flying. (laughs) (laughs) King. Um, I'll I'll look it up in a second. But there is another book that came out in like 2007. And the main character of that book is named Nirav uh, Choksi, which is a combination of his name and his uncle's name. And it's the exact same thing that's being chronicled right now. So there is a fictionalized version of what is happening in real life right now that was released in the early uh, mid 2000s. Nice. I did just want to clarify. So he fled India in like 2018 or around when? Yeah, I think it was 2017 where he 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 fled India. Yeah, and goes to. The UK and and it sometimes I think he's also in New York. So, mm. you know, here's the uncle. <laughs> that is one fat dude. God. <laughs> oh no, what? I've looked at this guy's face uh, a little too long. Oh nice. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> God, who does that look flanked like? Flanked by his, uh, not daughters, no Bollywood actresses. No, you know what he looks like. This is Mehul Choksi, flanked by two Bollywood actresses at like a, a horse race, I think. That must suck to be like a Bollywood actress and like you're not making enough from movies so you have to like make money by sitting next to this guy at a yeah, horse race and feeding him grapes. <laughs> he really does look like an Indian version of the fat dude from the Adams Family. Yeah, um, yeah Chooksy's a fat piece of shit. He looks like a, a guy, the guy from The Meaning of Life who explodes. <laughs> yeah, this book is written by this guy, uh, Ravi Subramanian. And it's uh, called In the Name of God. And he introduced a character named Nirav Choksi. This book came out um, in early 2018. So, like, people have known about this scam and scheme. And, you know, if you look up uh, Modi corruption, you can find everything from Nirav Modi to Lalit Modi, another uh, corrupt individual, and Narendra Modi's corrupt practices as well. Um, if you look up Narendra Modi, the prime minister has referenced uh, Melu Choksi in a couple of his speeches. And at this Davos, Switzerland economic event, Nirav is pictured with Narendra Modi. Mm-hmm. And so, listen, the corruption in this case is, is wrapped within the politics and the elite of India. And so I don't know exactly what will happen to this, but I guarantee Nirav Modi is saying going to say no comment to his grave. He doesn't give a fuck. You don't rock an ostrich leather jacket when you're on the <laughs> lamp. This is not how you do it, you know? He got it from Paul Manafort. (laughs) I was just thinking, if we ever have honest law enforcement in this country, like, the Davos Summit would be the perfect place to arrest everybody. (laughs) Like that fucking mafia meeting in the 50s they bust up. Like, all the fucking crime leaders are there. (laughs) 
but yeah, we'll see what happens with uh, the Nirav Modi family. Uh, one person on Twitter posted that this Narendra Modi giving Russia a billion dollar loan might be somehow linked to all this stuff. And I don't know. That's a little far-fetched. But the reality is, is that um, India, China, and Russia buddying up to one another within scams of diamond, wealth, and the elite is going to be doomed for all of us and not in the capitalistic way our socialists like to believe. Well, before we end, I did want to mention, uh, because we forgot to, is Yogi's been buying things off the military surplus store, <laughs> and he actually has a nice military sweater that makes it look like he's ready to disappear people in cashmere. I just like military surplus stuff, because it's often cheaper, and it's pretty good quality. When, when the stolen Valor people come across you, you have a story to tell them, actually. They're like, what campaign were you involved in? <laughs> You're in that jacket? I'm like, yeah, in, in cashmere. <laughs> Uh, our thoughts and prayers go to the individuals of Kashmir who are dealing with uh, <laughs> yeah, genocidal climate cleansing right now. Um, oh, and uh, we, I did want to tease the Patreon this mm-hmm. week. Yeah, this ahead. week, our Patreon is going to be on um, Hassan Jamil, is uh, Rihanna's uh, boyfriend, is a billionaire mm-hmm. Saudi who's fa- uh, Saudi Arabian whose family has been um, been linked to terrorism. So I think we can safely say that Jamel Khashoggi was just another N word on the hit list. <laughs> And with that, this has been Grub Stakers. I'm Yogi Powell. I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Hi, Priyanka. Hi, what's your name? Aisha. Hi, Aisha. So, it was kind of hard hearing you talk about humanity because as your neighbor, a Pakistani, I know you're a bit of a hypocrite because on, you tweeted on February 26th, J-Hind, hashtag Indian Armed Forces. You are a UNICEF ambassador for peace, and you're encouraging nuclear war against Pakistan. There's no winner in this. As a Pakistani, millions of people like me have supported you in your business of falling for and you support nuclear war. Whenever you're done venting. Got it? Done? Okay, cool. So, um, I have many, many friends. Thanks, girls. I have many, many friends from Pakistan, um, and I am from India, and war is not something that I'm really fond of, but I am patriotic, so I'm sorry that uh, if I hurt sentiments to people who do love me and have loved me, but I think that all of us have a sort of middle ground that we all have to walk, just like you probably do as well. The way you came at me I right now, well, don't yell. Yell. we're all here for love. Tell us a little bit more. You're now subject to an arrest warrant, my friend. You're a wanted fugitive by the sounds of it. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel, Mr. Murray? How does that make you feel? Has the situation now changed? Has the situation now changed, Nero? You spent a long time evading justice by the sounds of it. You're now subject to an arrest warrant. Just tell us how that makes you feel. How does that make you feel, Mr. Modi? Are you planning to contact extradition, Mr. Modi? These are very simple questions, Nero. They're very simple questions, and a lot of people... A lot of people want to know the answer. A lot of people want to know the answer to these questions, Nira. So you can run away as fast as you like. But at the end of the day, well, no one's saying justice, but maybe it's just, okay, fine. 
If you'd just like to care to say a word or two, it might help us out. And then we'll perhaps, you know, give you a chance. Give you a chance to answer for yourself. Mr. Modi, would you just like to share a word or two? Mr. Modi, are you planning to contest it? Do share a word with us. No comment. Okay. Right, well off he goes again. Okay. Mr. Modi, could you comment something? This is an opportunity for you to speak, Mr. Modi. No comment. Okay. I guess there's no point Mr. asking Modi, you what, what happened to the alleged billion pounds or so that appear to have gone missing. You have a red corner notice against you via Interpol. And to the best of my understanding, Nera, you've just had an arrest warrant issued against you. You're now effectively a wanted criminal. You're walking the, you walk in the streets of London. Mr. How Mr. can Mr. this be? You, you, have you resumed can business you here? Can you explain any of this? You've resumed business here, Mr. Modi. Can you tell us a little about that? No comment. Okay, well. But Mr. Modi, don't you, do, do, do share some thoughts on what you are planning next because there's a court process on, we believe, and there's an arrest warrant that has been issued. Are you planning to contest that? Okay. Nirav, are you going to contest the extradition? Because this is obviously, as we've seen in the case of Vijay Malia and so on, it's a lengthy and protracted process. We're probably going to be seeing quite a lot of each other over the next couple of years. Do you have any feelings? Do you want to share with us what your future plans are? No comment. Okay, fine. All right, well, here's another question for you. Then your Indian passport has been revoked. Do you still carry your Belgian passport? Is, there a, is there a chance of you uh, absconding? Are you, are you working now? I, is your business up and running? Okay. Mr. Modi, is your business up and running? What visa are you working on here in the UK? Okay. There yeah, obviously no comment is a perfectly fair answer, but you know, this doesn't look good on you. You seem very evasive. You seem to be, you know, running away from the issues, running away from the story. If you were to say anything, just that would a, perhaps just a quick comment, Mr. Modi. Whether you so, think, whether you think, be so good as to tell us whether, where whether, things stand. Whether you're planning to contest the proceed extradition proceedings against you. Okay. But surely you, surely you know there's an extradition warrant that's been issued, Mr. Modi. Are you appearing on the 25th of March, Mr. Modi? Are you appearing on the 25th of March? Are you appearing on the 25th of March, Mr. Modi? Perhaps, Who are your lawyers, aside Mr. from Mr. business, Mr. Modi, then, are you planning you to care? contest the extradition proceedings, Mr. Modi? Just a very quick comment on that, sir. Would you care to share any thoughts with us, simply? Oh, I do beg your pardon. Some comments, please. Well. Okay. Some comments, Mr. Modi. On something. Mr. Modi, you have we resumed business here. Could you tell us a little about that? We also understand you have a national insurance number, so you're clearly here quite legitimately. Nobody's disputing that. Just if you could share your thoughts, what you're planning next, Mr. Modi. And also, what visa are you on? What's the nature of your status here? Can you at least tell us that, Nirav? 
Is it true that you are here on an investor visa? Do you no longer have a passport, but you're you've no invested comment. you've invested money in the company in the country. Please, Mr. Modi. You've invested money in the country and therefore you are Mr. Modi, you've been given leave to stay. Leave to remain. You, Mr. Modi. Just very simple matters that are out in the public space, whether you're planning to contest any extradition proceedings. If you can just give us a, a, a quick comment on that. No comment. Mm. Okay. Do you have another passport, Mr. Modi? Do you, do you contemplate having not come here and going back to India? Do you contemplate that ever? Living a life hiding is not really a great thing, is it, Mr. Modi? Being trapped like this is not really good, is You're it? You're stalking me. Please stop stalking me. You're not stalking you, sir. We are trying to get answers to the questions no which you have run away from. Mira, this is just basic journalism. You're accused of having embezzled nearly a billion pounds sterling. It's a perfectly fair question. No if you'd like to defend yourself, you're more than welcome. The floor is yours. This is your forum. Tell us what happened to the money. Absolutely. And if this you're an innocent man, sir. tell us more. Tell us everything you can tell us to help clear your name. This is your opportunity, Mr. Modi. Just do share some simple thoughts, Mr. Modi, on what you're planning next. No comment. Mm. Okay. Uber might work. Okay, I'm done. Okay, well, I can't. Okay, well, it's goodbye from us for now, Nira, but I'm sure we'll be seeing you again in due course. Sorry, no comment.